Welcome to the Gen Z Show, the only show dedicated to young leaders and those who work with them to create a positive revolution that will inspire this generation to impact future generations. With your host, James McLean. Welcome to the Gen Z Show. I am your host, James McLam, and I'm here with my daughter, Sarah Beth. How are you doing, Sarah Beth? It's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah, well, honestly, um, this so this week in North Carolina, we had 80 degrees, then like zero degrees, um, rain, sun. So my allergies, something's blooming. So I'm like under the weather, not not 100%, but I don't know what it is. Something in the air. <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly that extreme, but it has gone from the... 70s to the uh, 40s pretty regularly this week so you're not feeling well well how, how let me ask you this how how do you think teenagers to early 20 year olds view their health are they really concerned about it um no overall no i don't think well honestly a lot of teenagers think they're invincible so a lot of them don't really care that much about but, their health i mean you know well, that's unfortunate because <laughs> The decisions that they make now are really going to impact their life later. And today's guest really talks about that in great depth. We have Dr. Randy James from True Life Medicine in Colorado. He is also one of the co-hosts of the True Life podcast, which deals with your health issues as well. And he looks at health from a very different perspective than, say, most uh, doctors teach you traditionally. He is looking at it from a total perspective. Uh, talking about what goes into your body, your mind, your ears, uh, eating, visuals, verb, you know, what you hear affects you, your outputs, what you're taking uh, as well, your work, your recovery time, your relationships, all those things we talk about today and how it impacts your health. It is a really a powerful thing. And you know that your mom and I are really concerned about our health. And it's a, been a big deal for us for, for quite a long time and being concerned with this. And so this is a very in-depth podcast. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the longer podcasts we've ever had because of the fact that we go into so much depth with Dr. Randy James. So let's just stop talking because there is a lot to go over and a lot you're going to want to hear. You're going to want to listen to this. You're going to want to watch it. You're going to want to take notes with our podcast, True Life Medicine's Dr. Randy James. Dr. James, welcome to the Gen Z show. I want to thank you uh, for reaching out to us. I, I want to thank too our mutual friend and, and your fellow podcast partner, Kevin Miller, for connecting us. So thank you for being on the show and thank Kevin for connecting us. You're welcome and thank you. And yeah, in fact, uh, right before I got on, I just was on the phone with Kevin for 30 minutes. So well, there you I'll go. As well. well, Dr. James, I am very passionate about seeing youth thrive and that is not just their future and psychological well-being, and, and, you know, they're dealing with their behaviors and stuff, but also the thrive health wise. And so I was really excited about our time together. Our audience, if they're not familiar with the podcast that you and Kevin do, um, they may not know who you are. So if you wouldn't mind, just spend a couple of minutes introducing yourself to our audience. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, well, Kevin and I, I moved to town, I don't know, uh, 2007. And Kevin had been here four or five years or so. So we met at church and we 
our kids were the same age. We were in the same kind of sports. And so that kind of started our journey together. And, and at some point along the way, I had kind of said the words about kind of what my story is, is, is it boils basically down to this. What does an individual value as function in their body, their mind, their soul, their spirit? And how can I, as a doc, help them to get there? And so how, you know, how did that come about? And, and I was the son of a typical Midwestern family. My dad's a doctor and he's a ear, nose and throat, head and neck specialist. And I was his worst patient. So I remember the day when he finally, you know, so I had tubes, tonsils, asthma, allergies. I had shots all the time for allergies. And, and my dad is the specialist in that area. And one day he was musing, why is my kid always symptomatic but not sick Ooh. which has now only gotten much worse in our youth these days if you go to a typical public high school then 20 maybe 40 percent of kids are going to have a chronic something so that's probably what we're going to be talking about today right so so that was me then with my dad kind of learning on me as i was in later high school early college and then one day he came home and he said, hey, why don't you change your diet in this way? And I was like, well, OK. Uh, and it changed my life. And, and what had been a chronic problem became much less of a problem. And by then he was going off and, and that was back in the 80s. So the idea of alternative medicine was not cool. Right. And um, he went through some professional, I don't want to say struggles. He was very gratified to help people, but he was kind of a pariah in town. He was, oh yeah, that weird doctor that does weird things. <laughs> weird as in, you know, change your diet. And, and so I grew up in high school and college during those years. And he had actually counseled me not to go into medicine as a student because of the insurance issues and, and the frustrations that he was having. Um, and then, and I was actually going into teaching. So I, I have a master's degree in German and I was going to be a, a history teacher. And uh, I came back from Germany for my sister's wedding. And my dad was telling me about some patients and, and his practice. And he actually teared up because helping somebody to feel trapped or stuck into what the culture says, oh, that's just genetic or, oh, you're, you're, God wants you to be overweight or, or gosh, this is, this is a burden or, or you should just pray about this to then actually help them get out from under that frustration and to live a life that they would say that God is calling them to. That's how we got the name true life. Um, and, and he teared up. And so as a 23, 24 year old, I thought, okay, if I could do that kind of medicine, wow. then, then I want to jump into that. Um, Military paid for med school for me. So then I did 10 years of what, what I call sort of regular American family practice medicine in the military. And then got out in about 2007 and started formally training in what we call functional medicine. Did that for about five years. And then in 2010, tried to bridge the gap with insurance-based medicine and, and, a, and a functional medicine approach. And that just won't work economically. So over the last 10 years, we've kind of honed in the way we do it, the way we work with people. And uh, so here we are today doing what I would call functional medicine. And, and the one minute idea there is if, if we said, okay, James, what, what are your concerns? Medically, 
socially, emotionally, or what are your goals? How, how fast do you want to run? And we say, well, where you are right now is point A. You define the function that you want to be at. That's point B. And, and then so you would hire me to come on board your ship, so to speak, to help you navigate the metabolic winds and waves of your life to give your body the best chance at being what it needs to be for you to live that life that you feel called to. Mm. So I, I can geek out on that because I really, to my, my journey into, into working with health is I do have type one diabetes, but my youngest child was born when I was 40 and she was probably a month and a half old. And we were out shopping at Dick's Sporting Goods, buying some tennis shoes. And the guy who was helping with my tennis shoes pointed over to this lady who was walking with a walker and she was struggling a lot. And he says, guess how old that woman is? I was like, I, I have no idea. And he said, she is 65 years old. And she looked much older than that. And he said, do you see that lady down there trying on those tennis shoes? And this lady looked to be not too much older than I was, maybe in her mid-40s. He said, 65 years old. And I just looked at that, and when I was leaving, I thought to myself, if my daughter gets married in her mid-20s, I'll be 65 years old. Which one do I want to be? Which one do you want to be? And that was a switch for me to to really get re... I'd always been active, you know, played team sports and stuff, even as an adult. You know, you know the rec sports, you know, just shooting yep. around and stuff. And that's fun. He keeps it going. But I really moved over to doing some, you know, some more serious things and being much more conscious about uh, what I was taking in. So I understand and I very much appreciate uh, this approach more so than, than maybe some, especially some that are in the audience today that may be younger. So we got a mix of young audience and maybe their parents listening, too. So I'm going to ask this question here to kind of kick it off for us. You know, what do you think are the major issues and problems? For this younger generation, let's just talk about those who are in their teenage years on up to their early 20s. What do you see as their major issues? Yeah, thank you. And uh, the I think people are going to expect me to say, and you had even kind of indicated this earlier, the, the biggies like oh, obesity and lack of exercise like that. We got to really hone in on that. Uh, maybe depression, anxiety, suicide. We got to really hone in on that. Um, and, and here's, and I want to say it a little bit different, and I hope that people remember. And even, even if you're, so I'm going to aim at uh, things that are typically starting in young teens, and then they can become, and can be an issue all the way through, but then they highlight typically in the 20s. And I would say it like this to those young people, what you think is normal is not normal. Or we could say it this way, the common symptoms or feelings in America are catastrophically abnormal. They ought not be. So, so here we go. For women, it is not normal. If I go next door to our high school and I say, how many women in here? So now we're, what, 14 to 18 years old. How mm -hmm. many women in here have PMS or menstrual cramping or... Uh, guys, how many guys in here have some acne? I'm going to bet 95% of people will raise their hand. And, and, and this young lady, she'll say, yeah, I started off and it was terrible. I had to miss school and my mom gave me Motrin. 
and told me to go to school but and said this is me too your sister too and this is just the way it is i'm so sorry but you have to go to school and then you go to the doctor and they say well she's kind of young let's try some my doll or let's try some something else and then another year goes by and of course every month for three to 14 days there's torture and then you get put on birth control and how, and my wife works at the crisis pregnancy center and how many of those young women get put on a birth control for bad menstrual cycles do you think that that's going to impact how they perceive a uh, a physical relationship right i understand that yeah so so down down a female pathway i would say the way up in the plus 90 percent of common is menstrual or hormonal frustrations and now it's almost it's a meme right it's a joke oh she's being hormonal and or 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 older people will say oh yeah my daughter or, or my son is just yeah you know those hormones and i'm like no that is not the way it should be so that would be a a theme that i would that i would pop out there um another one then that is connected to that would be mood the perception of pressure of stress of anxiety um whether that's self-imposed or put or it feels perceived that i have to perform in a certain way um sleep disturbance so the lack or, or just the lack of enough sleep um the, when you say sleep disturbance what would that mean uh people that can't fall asleep okay. or if they do fall asleep that they wake up they okay. sleep fitfully or they say yeah, I wake up around 2 to 4 a.m. usually, and I got to go to the bathroom, but then I, I kind of doze after that. I can't fall back asleep. Um, or, or young people that can't turn it off at night at 10 p.m., but they want to sleep until 2 p.m., right? Like they right. can't wake up in the morning. Those kind of patterns we perceive or we, we talk about culturally as, oh, yeah, that's just the way it is. And... And, and yes, in America, it is very quite normal to be obese. It's it, but it, it ought not be, we don't want to normalize that. And at the very same time, like we were discussing earlier, it has to be taught or coached that somebody who is overweight, um, it isn't, you need to eat less and exercise more. They are most likely eating the very same thing. The thin person over here is. Now this non-overweight person can still be skinny fat. So we, we see a lot of that where the metabolic abnormalities are, are, are evident, even though they're not overweight, but they're just as likely to have chronic headaches, chronic fatigue, chronic hormonal imbalances, um, or at least be touching some of those. Mm. And in fact, I would say uh, that's all of us. Right. Like one of the things that young people are wrong about is they is, is is the perception of, you know, I'm not overweight, therefore I'm OK. Or I don't right. have a headache. I don't have a symptom that I know about. Therefore, I'm completely OK. And people tell me all the time, I'm pretty healthy. And I'm like, well, does that mean you can run a four minute mile? hundred push ups. Like what does healthy mean? <laughs> And in their mind, it means I don't have morbid obesity, diabetes, cancer, heart disease. I'm not going to die tomorrow. Uh, and we could go back to your example. 
you know, 65 year old over here on a walker, 65 year old over here who's who's pretty mobile. But even that 65 year old, I'll find something metabolically not quite right with her. Right. On, on every human. And so then we're back to the question, even to the young people, young people, what? What is going on in your life that is potentially hampering or slowing down how well you could be? And I think those those are the 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 hormone issue, the sleep issue, the stress response issue. I hope we do talk about stress. Don't blame stress. Life is stress. But you every human has a a stress response that they have some degree of control over. And it's that stress response that's then triggering the anxiety or I can't sleep or the elevation of cortisol levels. So then by the time they get to me, we're going to do some labs and we're going to do some thinking about it. Right. But where they are with your audience now, what I hope is that people just start recognizing that normal symptoms are, are signals. That's information that the body is giving you that something is not quite right, including acne and menstrual cycle irregularities and headaches and fatigue. So those are the kind of the main things that I see in our late teenage, early 20 year old kids. So let's give us a, a kind of a sales pitch to them to get them to get that generation excited about looking for their authentic health. I get excited about what you said and I see the value in it and I see, you know, the, the importance of it. But again, it's been 30 years since I've been in college and, and I know what I was doing in college. You know, the, the meals and stuff that I was eating were not. You know, it has a pizza diet, you know, pizza diet yeah. and subs. And and still, I'm 5'7". I think I weighed a buck 40 when I was a senior in, 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 uh, in high school and maybe 15 pounds more than that in college. I didn't have the freshman 15 like a lot of folks did. It was like over a four-year period. But still 155 or 5'7". I'm, I'm a little bit bigger than that now, but there's there's a little bit difference in my body composition too i'm a little bit i think i i lift a lot more than i did then too so i think it's moved around so why how, how do we get them interested what's your pitch i i love that I've, I've never thought about it that way what's the sales pitch yeah we talk a lot about the they want to know yeah and kevin will tell you this he because he's a ziggler right he'll know it mr ziggler used to say everybody wants to know what's in it for me so we can say oh you'll live a long and healthy life but we know the mentality that the brain is not developed fully for them to have that kind of cognitive development to realize, ooh, the decisions I make as an 18-year-old may affect me when I'm 40. So what's our sales pitch to them? Yeah, here's so, – so to the ones that are already feeling enough pain, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. uh, pain is a really powerful motivator. Uh, in the clinic, we, we, we call it the blessing of pain. And, and so to the, to the vast majority of, of people, you're not in enough pain to make a significant change. And, that, and, and I get it, right? Like I'm, I'm, this is, I've got a 16 year old at home and he's been hearing me talk a lot, <laughs> but when it's pizza and hot pockets for lunch, he doesn't perceive pain to motivate him not to do that. And, and I get that. And, Maybe like 
my body type, probably years back in, in, in high school, college too, you could have eaten a gallon of ice cream every day Yeah, <laughs> for years and years and years before you gain that extra 15, somebody else is going to get that freshman 15. But like you said, you weren't the freshman eating spinach. You still ate pizza, but that other person got the 15, not because they ate worse than you, but because they're different. Their, mm -hmm. their insulin response system is different. Um, and so that's to, to, to young people. I, I think it's the, um, what is your goal? What is your performance goal? Like, so to the nerdy types, right? If you're a type A, I'm in it. I'm, I'm getting straight A's. I, I've got my eye on whatever degree over here. And I want to do these kind of things. Then I would say, okay, I would love to talk with you about what brain health really is. What, how do we measure a healthy brain? What do we know? Right? Like here's, here's the science on the situation. That's not very debatable about neuroplasticity and the response to how you eat, how you sleep, how your hormones are in balance. And if you can be in this kind of a context, the likelihood that your brain is that much better is that much higher. Hmm. Athletes are all, 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 by the time you're a collegiate level athlete, then you're already thinking about nutrition and those kind of things. So uh, human performance enhancement down the athletic pathway is kind of a different, a different ball of wax over here. But let's talk about the, the people in the middle. And they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm just getting my degree. I don't have to get straight A's. Um, I'm, I'm doing the social thing. I'm, I'm really in, uh, you know, I'm hanging out. I'm with my friends, uh, those kind of things. And those are the people that I would go down the list and ask them the questions and some questions and say, well, how is your concentration? How is your mood? Do you feel like you are anxious or depressed? How, how are you feeling? Is there enough? Can you think about these symptoms in such a way that you recognize them not as pain, but just as a signal that something's not quite right? And just like you're driving your car, if the check engine light comes on, your, your, your engine isn't going to seize up in the next 10 seconds. But why ignore that engine light? I love that you're equating pain as being a signal. That's that's going to be a concept that some of them I hope is a is a light bulb that uh, this is a signal that there's something I need to change instead of pain is something I need to mask or oh, or control. Can, and can I speak more to that because it, it's it's they learn it through osmosis. Like even my kids in their early elementary years would say somewhere I have a tummy ache can I have a pill. Yeah. Like how do you learn that? And if you do a, if you look at what pain is culturally and you and I are probably close to the same age and, you know, since then, so I went to med school in the mid late nineties and I was taught pain is a vital sign. That was the beginning of what became the opioid crisis. Ooh. So Doctors my age are what created the opioid crisis, which actually somehow went away with the COVID crisis. <laughs> um, we're still in the opioid crisis, right? Our people, our culture does not know how to think about pain and resilience and what kind of pain needs a medicine, what kind of pain just needs a, a different input. And, and if you look in almost any religious tradition, but scripturally, 
pain can be seen as a judgment or something like that. But I would say it like, has pain always been there? What is the opposite? As I'm talking to a patient and asking them, I can ask you this trick question and say, okay, well, James, what's the opposite of pain? What's the first word in your mind? Uh, Pain-free is the first thing, but. But here's the answer. Okay. Death. If you're alive, there's going to be pain. That's That's deep on a lot of different levels, Dr. James. That's deep on a lot of different levels. A lot, right? (laughs) Like I'm not saying go, you know, bang your head on the wall to feel the good of it. I'm saying it's going to teach you to not bang your head on the wall. Mm-hmm. And and the opposite of pain, which is where so many young people in our culture want to go to, whether it's I was offended by what somebody said and I need a safe space, or I I need to medicate with alcohol, or I need to I need to buy a new pair of shoes or get a faster car, or my body needs to look. You know, these are all applications of a kind of please get me out of pain, and you're and it's a abnormal or not great response to the information that your body is giving you pain is information Mm -hmm. and no pain or no information within a metabolic system is a dead system so and then when somebody's in pain the first thing they say is oh god why me and i think he's looking down and saying what (laughs) trying to teach you something so that's actually a good thing for young people to remember if they can get that in their in their mind and say, okay, pain is information, whether it's emotional pain mm-hmm. or physical pain. It, and, and I think a lot of people in our culture, when they go to the doctor, they kind of want to know, well, why am I in pain? I don't want a medicine. I just want to understand. But our, 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 our medical system these days is set up in such a way as to very quickly and efficiently get people out of pain. And yes, if I just fell and broke my leg, I would like a dose of morphine, please. But if I have chronic muscle aches, that's not a deficiency of Motrin or morphine. So that concept is always, almost always very new to somebody as they come in as a new patient to not downplay pain, but lift it up and say, well, what's it teaching us? And remember, pain doesn't mean actual physical ouch. It's any symptom, mm-hmm. right? A mild headache, things like mouth breathing, snoring, dry skin. These are not, you know, dry skin is not quite eczema, is not quite rosacea, is not quite psoriasis, but it's not quote unquote normal. But people say all the time, oh, that's just me. You know, I'm just, my dad had hip pain and now, yeah, I'm having hip pain. And uh, it's not genetic. It's related to the environment that your genes are in. And your body is giving you a signal that says we need a different environment. We need a different context to get out of this kind of information. Hmm. So, okay, now we've got some kids that are might be listening, some, some young people, some Gen Zers, and they're going, all right, yeah, I, I'm buying into this. What's what's step one for me? What are, what are some suggestions? How do we get them started on this healthy lifestyle, on living to their true life? So I hesitate, and, and again I'll say I, I I'm I'm in this with a 16 year old and a 14 year old. Kevin's kids, you know, he's got three in the teen years and some in the early 20 years. 
So this is this is at my age demographic right now is all of my friends have kids in that age. And, you know, my kids are in sports. We're going to the sport games and we joke about it like, oh, my gosh, they drank a liter of Dr. Pepper before the game. <laughs> <laughs> and and so. All right, I'm going to be honest with you here. OK, let's go. If you came in and as a parent, you said, look, Dr. James, I know, you know, you don't take insurance. It's kind of expensive. I want to understand what what because I've talked to my kid all the time and I and, and they're not ready to change. And I tell them very honestly like this. If you've got a wise, mature 16 year old, the kind of kid that gets themselves to a job, does their homework, stuff like that, and is ready to talk about it. And here's the thing. Take responsibility. Like it's not going to be mom's job or dad's job to make you take your vitamins every morning. Mm -hmm. And I would tell those people they're not ready. The pain, there's not enough pain. If you've got a person who is, you know, and, and that not quite so mature person can be 18 or 28, right? Like, right. Or you can have a really thoughtful 14 year old who is like, yeah, I'll do that. Okay that's really you said it before in yourself i forgot the context but you used the word click and and everybody knows what i mean it's like when when it clicks in an individual when they say i'm going to be athletic i'm i'm going to climb pike's peak or i'm going to study i'm going to get an a in that class so part of what I would call out to, to young people is to recognize ownership where, and that's, that's not a great concept in our, our, what I perceive as the current kind of Gen Z mindset where we want other people to kind of take care of stuff. And I would argue freedom is ownership that when you step up to say, I will take ownership of my pain, and, and respond to it in such a way to become the kind of person I want to be. That's that's step one. To, so to those people, because if you're not that person, anything I say next is just an old guy talking about eat right, exercise, go to bed on time, be boring, goody two shoes, no fun, never have a beer, never have, you know, that's what they hear. And I'm, I'm saying, no, what is how do you look forward and say, when's the right time to have beer and pizza? When is the right time to fast? When is the right time to, to feast? So, so to those people, I would say, if you can recognize or be aware, we almost named the clinic awareness. If, if somebody can step wow. out themselves and see themselves and say, self, I am now aware that I am not managing my insulin and glucose uh, metabolism like I should be. And therefore I'm putting on a few extra pounds. Okay. I don't want to do that anymore. Now I'm aware. So oh, it starts with awareness and I'll go back again. Culturally, I think we have a tendency towards apathy. I don't want awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, or so 
or people are hyper aware about subsets of things. So we have somebody who is not aware of their own physical maladies or whatever, but they're hyper aware of, of climate or what, how we're taking care of the earth. Okay, right? Like everybody's on the spectrum of these kinds of awarenesses, including me and you, right? Like that's the call of wisdom is how do I be being more aware of the things that God wants me to be more aware of? So to that person who says, okay, I'm, I'm mature. I want to do that. To the young people, I'd say it starts with four things. Here it is. That the foundation of your wellness, imagine with me uh, out in your front yard, you're going to put a foundation down and there's four cornerstones. And these four cornerstones are the foundation, I would argue, of well-being for all humans since the time of beginning. Number one, what are you putting in your body? Okay, so obviously people think mouth and nutrition. I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to all you young people, I know that pornography is an issue, a big one. That's an input into your eyes. And there is a measurable chemical, electrical change and a brain change in your brain. Mm -hmm. And so, James, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. But I've had 19-year-olds come and ask me for Viagra because now they can't make things work with a real person. 19. Wow. Yeah. So they are wow. they are broken-ish at 19, but it's it's from an input that's not that the body is not designed for. So nutrition, what goes in your eyes, and now let me say what's going in your ears. So another big thing to a lot of young people, I'm so, so sorry to say is and I ask everybody, pardon the question, I'm so sorry for asking, but was there abuse? Mm. Verbal, neglect, sexual, or did you perceive it at all? Because let's just say there's a, maybe a distant father who says one thing to his 13-year-old daughter about, hey, you're putting on a few extra pounds. And she will have that go into her ears for the next 30 years. And that's a form of input bouncing between her two ears even if it's subconscious. So those are the three main things. What's going in your mouth? What's going in your eyes? What's going in your ears? And be aware of it, right? Like be aware. And now, now we can start the conversation about what to do about it. Okay. And of course, the nutritional piece, that's, that's a big topic. And, you know, vegetarian, vegan, paleo, Mediterranean. It, America is just so confused. And, and if you boiled me down to one thing that I would want our young people to be aware of. I Let me ask you, I'll ask you another one of these trick questions. What is the number one drug on the planet? What's the number one drug on the planet? Yeah, the most dangerous drug on the planet. Bad food, maybe? Is that, a, Sugar. Is that an answer? Sugar. I was close. I was on the right track, at least. I was thinking in the right world. Sugar, carbohydrates, right? So that, you know, sugar, added sugar, yes. That pizza, that beer, that rice, that corn, those beans. And, and we are in a culture where we're over-carbohydrated. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at people yeah. and say, just recognize that. Tone it down a little bit. Tone up your vegetables. Good fat, good protein. So that's, that's the nutritional to the collegiate mind who isn't going to, who doesn't need to treat morbid obesity or diabetes or something. I would say tone down your carbs. Bump up your veggies. Yeah, I don't think most of them look at food the way that I look at food. I don't, when I see food, I'm calculating 
in my head, okay, what's what what's the insulin I have to inject in order to eat what I'm about to eat? And when you start thinking in those terms, because your body, your pancreas has decided that it's just going to go go somewhere and live somewhere else and not operate anymore, and you have to act as your own organ, which is what I have to do. I calculate everything based on, you know, <laughs> how many carbs do I think that is? So. How much insulin a day are you using, by the way? Base, base, the basil is uh, around 21. I, I've been down as low as 19. And then it's that standard one to 10 uh, carb unit. Um, so mm -hmm. on, a, on a bad day, I might be in the low 40s. On a good day, I can keep it under or around 30. It would be interesting for you to explore because I bet if you did a ketogenic diet, if you went to no carbs or very, very low carbs for about 90 days, because everybody's on your same spectrum, right? Like your mm -hmm. insulin, your pancreas, your, your beta islet cells are a little wonky. And that's a different discussion as to how they got that way in the first place. But everybody doesn't have a perfect pancreas. Everybody has to be their own organ mentally be aware mm -hmm. or else you're just willy nilly wailing on your pancreas until it decides not to work. And as a consequence, this is one of the things I, I was hoping would come up today. Not only do we have 70% overweight or obese in America as a whole, young people probably more in that 20% kind of place. Uh, but this will be a surprise to young people and, and maybe to you, but we're at 60 to 70% harder to measure, but let's call it 60% diabetic or pre-diabetic. Yeah. 60%. This, if this trend continues, the burden that this will place on the metabolism of people will not sustain brains. We are, well, coming, no, ahead, we are coming into the epidemic of dementia. Dementia can be called diabetes type three. Mm. And you have what we call diabetes type 1.5, right? You got diagnosed type one at, at 30, whatever you said. And there's, yeah. you know, that's a subset. And, and so diabetes type two is kind of typical American, too many carbs over too much time. And now we're seeing that in the teens. And now we're going to have an onslaught of diabetes type three, where basically the brain is getting pickled with too many carbs over too much time. And instead of it being, you know, a little bit of dementia when you're 90, it's just getting earlier and earlier and earlier. And I think, you know, for our generation, the people who are 50 and 60 right now, that's going to be the next big scary thing. I think I was teetering on being diagnosed a lot, especially in my college years, because there was times that I remember running long distance or hike. I remember hiking um a trail up on the Shenandoah Valley and and, not, and 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 it was I was just feeling a crash and I just thought okay I didn't eat enough earlier today so the first chance I got I you know binged with everything I could find to get in me and I was fine and moved on but there are little there are little instances all through from like late teens to to the time to my 30 or late 30s that I hit those times. I just thought it was just mismanagement of my energy level or something, which I think Did it may they, have been diabetes. So Jay, it's not really fair to ask you these questions since we're talking about you, but 
I, I do think that insulin glucose and sugar, and by sugar, I mean carbs, not just, you know, soda, right. but is, is something that young people really ought to at least be aware of. And, and you're, you're a good example because back then, if you had talked to me, I would have said, whoa, this is a major warning sign. Not that you're heading towards type 1 diabetes, but you're heading towards some kind of insulin, glucose, hormonal, and immunological upheaval. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just curious, did at, because, uh, you know, here we have the Barbara Davis Center, which is a worldwide diabetes center. And it's pretty well established that type 1 is an autoimmune disease. Did they teach you that at, in North Carolina? At UNC and, and oh at UNC at the diabetic clinic yeah did they do they talk about your type oh. one as an autoimmune condition I'm very fortunate in that the people who see me at the diabetic clinic are also type one so they are very open about every aspect of it because they live it as well that's one yeah. of the things that I I went there for is because I knew that a lot of their medical practitioners that were there were type one as well and they could understand it they can understand what it what feels like. Yeah, to wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning and go check yourself and it's, you know, 34. And you're like, okay, uh, I know what I need. They know what it's like. They also know yeah, what it's like yeah. to, to screw up and check yourself and you're 390. You know, they yeah. know their difference. They know about the fact that we'd sometimes you overeat it at when you're 34 and then you go back to bed and then four hours later you wake up and you're, you know, you're way on the other end. So they could help do that. So they have, you know, they poured into me probably much more than uh, they have a normal person. Cause I sit there and I ask questions and, and more than probably most folks do. It'd be interesting to see how, how they respond to a, a trial of doing a ketogenic diet and how that would influence the insulin glucose balance there um just just not well and the likelihood is that it would give you more stability like what you're saying is you get less of those lower lows higher highs Mm -hmm. you get more of that of that stability that we in the non-diabetic world take for granted yeah you're aware you have to be your own organ and i'm calling out to young people to say take responsibility Mm -hmm. be your own organ it's called a brain It's called thinking. Otherwise, I know if somebody doesn't resonate with that conversation, then I know that this statement is true. They are mindlessly eating. There's no thought. They're just waiting for pain to happen, which is which is just not a a wise way to live a life. Even if you think, you know what, I'm invincible and that pain's not going to happen until I'm 30, 40, 50. Which is exactly what the mentality is. I'm invincible. That is, but it's not. It is. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. 25% of any public school in America is asthma, allergies, ADD, ADHD, learning delay. It's not when you're 50. It's menstrual cramping. It's migraine headaches. It's chronic fatigue in our 20-year-olds who have to come home from school, take a nap. Mm. That is not uncommon. But here's the other thing that our culture teaches kids especially is just cope just you know you don't want to go to the doctor and get a medicine and i kind of agree with that you do want to go to a different kind of a doctor 
and get a different way to interpret these data points. I like that. I like that was how that was worded is that you want to be able to interpret what's going on in your body, not just get something to fix it. Um, you know, That's right. You not know what happened. That's right. So back to the car analogy, if my car light engine light goes on and I take it to the doctor and he says, all right, I fixed that light and he put a bandaid over it. Mm-hmm. I can't see the light anymore. That's not bothering me, but something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the information is not getting responded to in the way that the body's designed. Okay, so that was kind of number one cornerstone input, eyes, ears, what's going into your brain. Next is output. And I would say, okay, we all talk about exercise. Everybody says, I'm going to get healthy, eat right, exercise, uh, go to bed on time, those things. Um, so on the output, yeah, of course, exercise, right? Like we live in a society that we can be sedentary, all mm-hmm. of those things. I'm going to ask you another one of these trick questions and say, James, what is the best exercise in the world? Walking, maybe? Or just Here's moving it all? Okay. The one that you will do. <laughs> there you go. Right? If it's hike, bike, run, walk, swim, I don't care. Yes. Most days. So if you're if you're a spreadsheet guy and you want, you know, 3.5 days a week at 40 minutes there and 20 minutes there, knock yourself out. If you go play soccer twice a week, great. Yes, exercise. So let's not belabor that one with what kind and this kind and that kind. The other parts of output, though, and I think you're standing up too, is a standing desk, posture, mattress. What kind of mattress are you on? Um, I, I For students, I want to highlight posture because you know, for half of my life, I was in school until 30, you're, you're hunched over a desk, leaning down, reading a book, right? Yeah. And now with phones where your, your shoulders come in and you hold a phone or you hold a laptop or you hold an Xbox gaming device, you are slumped in a chair. I mean, I know that's half the kids for multiple hours a day. Um, my kids too. And we're not saying, oh, thou shalt not not play video games we're saying be aware of your posture because it's not when you're 80 that your back is going to hurt i promise you it's going to be when you're 25. well not only that it makes with your mobility i have problems with my shoulders my mobility is is kind of limited on what i can do athletically wise this way now and i think it is as a result of sitting at a desk and hunched over that's that it's just stiffened up so much. That's right. Well, say it this way. It is absolutely 100% true that your history of sitting at a desk is a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But is it 10%, 20, 30, 40, 90? We don't know, but it is part of the problem. And so then we'd say, all right, if you, if you said, well, I would like to be over here, point B of my life and become a guy that can play tennis, I'd say, well, then you got some work to do. How are we going to limber that up and stretch it? And it might be dry needling. It might be acupuncture. It might be chiropractic. It might be we got to work on the metabolic recovery of the joints, all kinds of things. To the young person, I would say don't take it for granted because you're young and invincible. Recognize what posture is and then start those smart habits early uh, with how you sit, how you compete. I, I think these are the biggest problem. In the mice. Yeah. yeah. 
right? Because you're you got your arm hitched way over here. You're doing that. Your elbow's not supported, and it's all waiting right mm. here. Plus, your pecs are pulled forward, and it day in and day out, six hour stints in of working on the computer pulls things forward. You look around and you see all this hunchback people's necks. Um, so. <laughs> The musculoskeletal system, lack of functional movement. Uh, in fact, we could say musculoskeletal is the number one complaint of all of medicine. Neck pain, back pain, my knee hurts, my shoulder hurts. Number one, right? And sure, we can give you medicine to get out of pain, right? That's And sure, if there's something broken, you can get surgery. But why is it there in the first place? And how do you live life to be becoming a 90 year old guy that can go skiing starts when you're 20. Right. Okay. So that's output input output, including exercise and posture. It also includes your work. And this is more for older folks, I think than younger folks, but what is your output out in the world? How do you put yourself out there? How do you posture yourself to your community, to your, friends to your god to your uh to your co-workers is it, that costs energy right that costs i'm putting myself out there and, and we live in a world where so many young people live in fear or anxiety about that or or they're falsely posturing right and and so to elevate it to the level of consciousness is what i would do to the young person today is and 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 to me that kind of then touch I'm so grateful to work in a, uh, it's capital W. I get to work. I, I get to be invited into people's lives and try to help them get from here to there. And it's motivating and inspiring in contrast to somebody who says, oh my gosh, I got to go to work. I hate I this job. Yeah. Or I, I come home and I hate my dog or my spouse or my whatever. I mean, the, the burden on that to well-being is catastrophic. So to the young people or to people working with young people, it's, it's recognized. And, and some of the best medicine I ever gave somebody was I said, Mrs. Smith, you got to quit your job. It's killing you. Trust God, trust your family, trust something else, but you get out of that. And the freedom of and and uh, of of what that does to somebody's countenance or even to their back pain or even their diabetes right is is measurable okay so input output uh and then if any human takes things into their lives they they whirl them around in their head and they're putting their life out there there has to be recovery and so a big 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 one is lack of effective restful rhythmic sleep so third one's recovery recovery sleep being the main part of that um so we now live we have this word pandemic right so we live in an endemic of insomnia even for young people it's about 30 35 percent of people don't fall asleep within 20 minutes and stay asleep for seven to eight hours, mm -hmm. right? Now, if we if we label it like that, I'd say it's more like 40% of people because a big chunk of people say, oh, they just don't sleep enough because they got they go to bed too late, they get up too early and and uh, 
if I ask the typical call or young people, you know, well, let me ask you, what do you think they say? If you ask a young person, how many hours of sleep do you get a night? What's the average thing that they say? Five to six, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Five to six, some seven sleep in on the weekends. Yeah. yeah. There's, there is no way that you can perform at the level that you could be performing at if you were sleeping seven to eight. And so to a young person, I would say, I get it, you know, college is college and, and, and high school is high school and all of this, but I'd still, I'd aim at having awareness of the, and in this case, I'd say, I don't really care what you think you can handle. You can't handle it for very long. And I would aim for eight hours in the bed, seven hours of sleep. As and, that, and that's probably undercutting it, right? Like from 15 to 25, you probably need to be eight to nine. Nobody's going to do that. But I would still call awareness to that and, and have people recognize the value of sleep. And uh, even when the occasional all-nighter for study or travel or whatever you're doing, of course, but if your, your Monday through Friday patterns are set that way, it is going to protect you. Yeah, I never did an all-nighter in any of the programs I was in, the two master's programs or the undergrad. Um, I, I always had this mentality. If I don't know it by midnight, the next four hour, five hours is not going to help. And I would just put it away and go to sleep. And I might get up an hour earlier than I normally have and maybe basically review. I couldn't do new study, but review what I already knew, you know, through the notes. But I just was not – I had roommates that would – go to the library and do all-nighters or go to the lobby and do all-nighters. And I was like, I can't do that. I just can't. I don't I don't think I can learn anything past midnight. That And you're right. And even if you did learn it well enough to dump it on the test the next day, you didn't really learn it, learn it. Right. Right. So for older people down, down this uh, recovery pathway, it is the consequence of decades of lack of Sabbath is what I would call it mm -hmm. that we don't even know what the word means anymore. And, and we don't do it. So even if somebody is deeply invested into their faith, their, their church community or something like that, and they're doing uh, activities, that's not Sabbath. Sabbath means stop this kind of, I mean, the word means cease. So, Cease to be this way and in your spirit, your mind, your heart, be this way for a while. And, and I would, and the words that we use over here might be rest, prayer, meditation. It might be hiking, walking. Uh, for me, I took very purposefully as I'm trying to practice what I preach, I took a sabbatical and went skiing by myself without the family for two days on a directed sabbatical, right? It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to not be a husband and a father. I want to try to be a better husband and father by doing these periodic retreats, um, which is what we're called to. Mm -hmm. We can't always be on. And probably the most common new patient that I have is female between 35 and 55 who says, I'm just out of gas. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, there's been six hours of sleep for 30 years with no Sabbath. Why wouldn't you be out of gas? Your body's been telling you for a long time that something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. And you, and, 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 and 
maybe you went to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you got, you know, four kids under the age of five. You're just depressed or anxious or tired. Right. So to the young person, I would say nothing because right. If you're, if you're built on a semester pathway, you're getting these breaks in there all the time and they tend to go on sabbatical pretty normally anyway. <laughs> uh, but to the 25 to 55 year old, I'd say, don't be a slave to the job, even if it's family, that there has to teach your family that this is the way cool moms and dads behave. This is, this is what, it's not this exasperated, harried, always busy, always behind, always whatever kind of existence. Um, to, to the young person out there, if I say, well, I just, we just said, yeah, sure, you should exercise every day. And so, James, if I ask somebody, why don't you exercise every day? What's the number one thing that they say? I'm too tired. That's number two. What's number busy? one? Busy. Busy. Yeah. I'm too busy. Yeah. I'm too busy. Okay. Well, good luck. Right? <laughs> if you are elevating your job above your body. Or for young parents, we tend to say, well, I got to do this with the kids and that with the kids. I say, okay, you're teaching your kids that a cool dad never exercises. Is that what you're trying to teach? And the answer is yes, even though you might subconsciously be doing it. But if you want to teach these habits, you, you got to be living them. And that's directed straight at me. In fact, it was Kevin who asked me that about 10 years ago because he's a big exerciser. And he asked yeah. me, well, why don't you exercise every day? And I'm like, oh, I'm too busy, this and that. And he's like, oh, so you're teaching your kids that. <laughs> I'm like, well... When you put it that way. Um, all right. So Sabbath as recovery. And then the, and then number four, which is really big in the in the young people mindset, and I would call this the chief cornerstone is relationships. Ooh. So the first relationship that any human being has, technically speaking, is going to be with your mom in the womb. So let's just go past that one. So after you're born, the first relationship you have is with yourself. Before you're aware of nearly anything, you get shocked with, I'm cold, right? And you cry. And then you're hungry. And you cry. And then for the next three, four, whatever years, it is a self-oriented relationship of what I want. So to the young person, what I would say, your first relationship to be aware of and to explore is mind, body, soul. Where does your brain, this squishy stuff, where does the where does the grapefruit become the mind? Where does the mind become the soul or the heart? That and and so if if we hurt your body, it hurts your soul. For example, if you wake up tomorrow morning uh, with a blood sugar of 20 and then you're in the bathroom puking i bet you don't have a really great devotional morning yeah i wake up with a, a 20 somebody better call the er because i'm on the way <laughs> that, right that impacts your soul now you have fear anxiety you're right it impacts your soul and vice versa you have probably gotten a phone call that said man i hate to tell you this but xyz bad news and it's mm -hmm. like a punch in your gut. You might even barf again, right? That interplay 
is going on all the time. And it's a major factor in why people feel what they feel with these symptoms of attention or energy or depression or anxiety. Uh, the mind, body, soul connection. So in the clinic, we might start looking at neurotransmitters, hormones, cortisol, insulin levels to say, how does your body communicate with your brain? Like that's, that's getting really deep into the neuroscience and into the chemistry. Um, but it absolutely has a role, right? So some of the di most difficult parts of a new patient, and I call it a verbal biopsy because it's a little painful as we dig around in there to ask about, was there any abuse? Did you fail the 10th grade? Did you do drugs back then? What, what was the context then? How is that impacting you now? And I think that 18 to 25 year old is des half of those kids are desperately trying to forget what happened from five to 15 hmm. and, or at least make sense of it. Right. And that impacts the way that they are eating, thinking, sleeping and, and doing things. So mind, body, soul, the next layer of relationship is with God, right? Like that exploration of at least recognizing that there's something bigger than me, that there's, that there's mystery and that maybe there's a sense of calling that there's a, a sense of beyond and most humans, most even modern humans, and especially over the course of human history, I've said, well, yeah, of course. And if there's, if that's not there, if you are all that's there in the universe, it's really hard to have a strong why behind your what, because the next appetite in front of you becomes the biggest thing, right? Whether it's food or sugar or sex or a new pair of shoes. So that next layer of awareness is 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 important and then the next layer i'd say is very important to young people is your is your buds your close community your friends you know i die for these guys right like this is my troop and and all of that um and so invest in it right like be aware of it and like i say to my kids just about every other week what is the best way to have good friends and the answer be is be a good friend right like okay well how are you being a good friend today what are you gonna do what is that? What is that? How do you be, be how do you train friendship? Right? So to kind of put the Dallas Willard spin on, on a word, how do you be becoming a really good friend? And how do we teach that to young people? Uh, next layer is community. And so there you go. And then, you know, then you have nation, state, country, world, and all of that kind of stuff. And even on the medical research side, it's a four dimensional uh, environment that surrounds you as a unique individual. But let's just boil it down like this, that if your best friend is overweight, you are more than 50% likely to be overweight. Wow. It's hugely impactful. So one of the best ways to be a friend is to not be overweight. Okay. Now, when we, when we look at the textbook of overweightness over here, it's not, I've said this a hundred times, 
It's not eat less and exercise more. That's not the answer. It's not genetic, but is genetics related? Yes. So there's many, many chapters in this textbook. It's not an easy problem, so I'm not minimizing it. Uh, I'll say it the same way in a different way. One of the best ways to be a good friend is to go to bed on time. And if your little community of friends goes to bed on time, you guys are not going to get in, you know, stuck in that sleep problem. Mm -hmm. so have you ever heard of the book, The Blue Zones? I have not. What was it? Blue Zones? Blue Zones. So there's pockets in the world where people commonly, commonly live to be over 100. Mm -hmm. Not in a nursing home, but they're out walking and working and doing their life. And then they die after 100. So, so the investigators have said, what is it about these people? And it's not all related to diet or all related to exercise or all related to whatever. But probably the number one theme is community. Mm -hmm. Is what are the other people doing? And in America, the other people tend to be eating too much, overstressed, over underslept, wow. overworked, over expectations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and sure enough, in America, we are the worldwide leaders of breeding headaches and depression, anxiety, and, and not to mention diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and all these other things. So... Four cornerstones, chief cornerstone is relationships with yourself, your God, your community. If a young person can say, I got that, they're already on a trajectory that's way different. And over time, they're going to have less pain, less symptoms. For our audience to hear it again, input, output, recovery, and relationships. Yep. That's powerful. That is so powerful. I feel like we want, we need to, we, you and I need to go out and recruit a thousand people to coach them on just those four concepts. And we might cure generations of, of illness and, and, uh, and help the longevity of people living lives that are full. Uh, you know, you don't want to just live a long time. You want to live a long time and be full of life. You know, you don't want to have right. your last 20 years be such that someone else has to do things for you, for you and stuff. Huh? Yeah. You want to be energetic and, 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 and full of life and full of things going. This is powerful. This is powerful that, that I hope that if the youth don't get it, I hope the adults that are listening that are working with youth or are parents of youth do. I hope they buy into it as well. I do too. I, it's, it's, uh, you know, talking with Tom and, and growing up here in Zig and, and having the, that big old hairy audacious goal and all of those kind of things. I think what you just said is, and people have asked me, well, why don't you write a book or why don't you? And I, and the honest answer is because if I was talking to you, James, at your place, where, where how old you are with type one diabetes, then I would say all those four things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. But if we were talking to your son or whoever's over here at 25, I would, we'd say it a little bit differently. And we, we just had a new patient join the practice. She's 85 and she wants to be better so she can keep up with her 91-year-old husband. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. There you go. I like that. I, I do too. 
I, I want to be becoming that kind of person. And, and so I don't know how to package that up to where it would be super meaningful to each of our, of those generations outside of this kind of conversation mm -hmm. where somebody can hear your tone of voice and kind of apply it to their own lives. But, but that's my hope and my prayer is that those who hear this, that they would get it as it fits their lives and they're not going to become perfect. There's nobody, we always tell patient or day number one, you're no longer allowed to say normal, happy, healthy, well, don't say those words. You can define those words for you, but don't say, I won't let them come in and say, well, I just want to be healthy or I just want to get back to normal or I just want to be well, because that doesn't mean anything. Define what you want your output, your function to be. What is God calling you to be? Now let's work towards it. The likelihood that you get there is way higher. And oh, by the way, this is the best way not to have cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and all the things that are normal in America. That's what I hope they can just begin to get, or at least that their parents get, yeah, at these, young, at these young ages. How can our audience connect with you? To, to learn more. Yeah. So, so two way right now we're truelifemedicine.com and the people that find us there are really frustrated with their point A and they're ready to do the work to get to point B. What we will be launching in the future is to speak into what you just said about the powerful message. How do we get it to people in an easier, cheaper, more accessible format? So this spring we'll be launching True Life Online because I don't think people need to spend what it costs to be in the clinic with me. If you can do the basics over here, what I just talked about, start at point A, wrestle with these things that as they pertain to you in your life, it'll take about four or five months. That's kind of the, what we're aiming at on the program graduate and go live it. Mm. I don't think you're going to need a doctor again the rest of your life outside of acute infection and acute surgery or acute trauma. And if, like you said, if the world could get this, we would put a dent in chronic disease in America, even in our young people. Yeah. And, and from a financial standpoint, the, the amount of money that they may have at the end of their life would be, uh, dramatic uh, i can tell you that it's not cheap being a type one it's so kevin and i on another business venture are looking at starting a company with that as the theme how to save money how to how to reinvest that money by not being unwell oh nice because if you're not well as defined by you then you're spending money on some malady by definition and how about your podcast? How can they, how can they, how can they find your podcast? So our podcast, Kevin and I, uh, it's the true life podcast and it's hosted. So if you put Kevin Miller with that or Randy James, true life podcast on any of the, any of the hosting mechanisms, then you'll get there. 
Very nice, very nice. And we'll make sure for our audience that we put these links in in the show notes. So if you're watching this on YouTube, look down. If you're listening to it on Spotify or Apple or wherever your favorite podcast app is, you, you just click on it and you'll find the show notes under the description. You'll find that as well. So Dr. James, thank you. Thank you for this. This is uh, this four. I, I was sitting there thinking I was going through. I uh, have one that's that's 22, and and I see her pretty regularly. Actually, I see her at the gym more regularly than anything else your, I want to share with her. Your kids? Yeah, I have a 22. Eight, well, she's almost 22. Their ages as of right now, 21, 18, and 11 are my kids. 21, 18, and 11. Yeah, we're at 16, 14, and 11. So Pretty, pretty similar. Yep. And he, and I want to share this, especially with the middle one, with the eighteen year old. He uh, because he's just his first year in college. He's starting to, you know, develop some habits that probably aren't as good. They're not affecting him right now. And he's an exercise science major of all things, with with aspirations of being a PT in the long run. Uh, he needs to understand well, how this works. I, down and I love the uh, functional movement science, exercise science. Uh, one of the guys that I work with uh, in the office right behind me uh, is a um, master at, at all of that, was a formal Mr. Canadian, Mr. Canada or something like that. And so we talk about it all the time. And to your son, I would say, look, what, whatever methodology you look at, you know, of dynamic neuromuscular kind of training or functional movement or, or whatever, your muscles, your bones, your joints are made up of, of a metabolic biochemical process. You're going to go back to those four things, input, output, recovery, relationship, right? Like why would somebody train their body? You know, I, what's the why behind your what to exercise at all? Right. And if it's just not to have a heart attack, it's not very powerful motivation. Um, so it's, it's that whole big picture which is, is exceedingly hard for our young people to get, right? They're young. so yeah, It is. It's very difficult. And that's why we're doing this today. That's why we're doing it. <laughs> so thank you again. You. Thank you. But thank you for being on our show. And, and to the Gen Z audience, thank you for, for listening, for, for watching this. Listen, someone that you know needs to hear this podcast. So like, share, and comment on this. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. Thank you for joining us on the Gen Z Show and being a part of our community. Please subscribe to our channels on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Follow us too on Instagram and Facebook to get weekly updates. Until our next show, have a blessed day.